Once upon a time, there were two badass women who thought mom brain was complete BS. Then they had babies, became besties, and decided to start a podcast to talk about how they were totally wrong. Welcome to Blame It on Mom Brain. Welcome back, everyone, to Blame It on Mom Brain. This is Jodine. And I'm Amanda. And I am so excited to co-host today while I listen to Amanda tell us all about her birth story. Oh boy. <laughs> I have heard it, but I honestly don't know if I fully remember because in the chaos of postpartum life when we're explaining things to each other, nothing is super clear. So <laughs> by now you've had a lot of time to process this. So it'd be great to just hear your day start to finish and everything that went along with that and how it may not have been exactly what you expected. Well, it's funny that you you say that about not remembering because it really is like the essence of this podcast where you're like all these life events and exactly. all the things have taken place. You've probably heard stories before. You used to know people's birthdays before, but then all of a sudden it just becomes <laughs> this fog that kind of clouds over. But I am excited to share my story today. It is something that I've shared only via like newsletter to people who are signed up to my page, but close friends know besides that. And it's just the type of story that, you know, you kind of, oh, I, I'm not the type of person who was always like, oh, one day I can't wait to be pregnant. I can't wait to have a mom. Like we've kind of covered these things where you and I were not necessarily in that headspace. And so when pregnancy hit us, that's why you and I were like, oh shit, I'm about to birth a person. What does that even look, feel, sound, experience? It, what is that like? And my experience ended up not necessarily going the way that I had originally intended, but it's one that I feel incredibly empowered by now. And I, I feel very proud about how he made his grand entrance and how I trusted my gut the entire way. So it feels like a story that I carry really close to my heart. And of course, like close to my mind, mental body, everything. Like it's just, you can never separate. It's such an in ingrained experience. Having said that, we are going to talk birth stories, you know, on this episode and Jodine will share hers. And it, again, always open invitation to skip through these ones. If you want your birth experience to be untainted um, or uninfluenced, you know, by others, then please feel free. We will love you all the more for it again, for always staying true to what felt right for you. You went past 40 weeks. I did. How, how did that feel? And did any anxiety start creeping in because, you know, oh God, go past 40 weeks, they're going to induce me. Um, did you have pressure from your midwife? How'd that go? Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I think we learned through our hypnobirthing course that, you know, a normal pregnancy is 42 plus one, 42 weeks and a day, and that that's perfectly fine, you know? So at 40 weeks, people start to get really antsy and that discussion of induction can begin and I definitely had that conversation with my midwife. Sort of, again, I think it's no secret. I did mention on a previous episode, I didn't absolutely love my relationship with my midwife, especially as weirdly as I got to know her more. And yes, she did throw that around. And to which my response was absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not going to do like, we're going to wait until, you know, until he's ready because I trust him and I trust my body and I, I, I don't need to, to already feel more doubt where there was already seeds planted in doubt via our conversations in relationship to now when he had to arrive. I just really believed my body would be like, listen, it's it's time. We're ready to roll. And 
and I would go with it. So yes, we did have that conversation. I was of the of of the firm stance of we're just going to wait and see how things go. The only thing I did agree upon was if your water breaks, then we do need to start we do need to get the the ball rolling for you because you did test positive for GBS group strep B. Um and so that was my only inkling of we're we're going no matter what in a way just of course to keep baby safe um we did talk about it on a previous episode but it's it essentially like you want to make sure that nothing that is passed through the canal when baby is on their way out goes to baby from you because you need antibiotics to treat it first and so if my water would break i'd need to make sure i had um a, a dose of antibiotics uh dripped before like at least two three hours before he would have arrived um yeah, so that was that was actually what ended up happening out of 41 and five days, 41 and six, sorry. I think that's, yeah, that is like pretty average actually. 41 yeah. is more average than 40. And it's all a guesstimate, right? Like they're not 100% sure of when your due date is ever. So how was the morning of your birthday? I love that, that you word it that way. Um, the morning was absolutely textbook in that we went to bed and I slept through the night. It was a decent amount of sleep. And then I woke up to the feeling of my water having broken. Was that early? Uh, it was at 6.57 a.m. Oh, you could say, okay. Yeah. You started really early in the day. Yes. And what was interesting, or sorry, 6.52. And what happened was throughout <clears throat> these midwife appointments, I, I kept saying like, like, will I miss it? Because I don't know, like, stuff's leaking down there all the time. Like, will I, will I, I felt the same. Yeah. I'm like, how am I going <laughs> yeah. to know when it happens? And she wheeled, she pushed her chair back. She wheeled to a sink and she turned on the faucet and she goes, she pointed to the water flowing and said, you'll know. And I was like, okay. And yeah. in my experience, it was like that. It did feel like that. And that was how I just touched Will's shoulder, shook him a little bit. And I said, my water just broke. Yeah. <laughs> you and I are in the small percentage though, because I le remember learning in hypnobirthing that only 10% of women's water break before they go into labor. So if you're pregnant listening to this and you don't know that stat, that was really shocking to me because TV and movies make it seem like it's go time, the water breaks. But I think everyone else in our hypnobirthing class None of them had their water break, actually. No, and that's really fascinating because it almost makes it sh sh like make you makes you feel like TV movies, all these these things. It's like that's the prerequisite to birth beginning, yeah. and um, it definitely was for us. But you know that may not be the experience for others. Um, I'd love to hear how it kick started for all of our listeners as well. So make sure you message us. So that was how I knew the morning kicked off with the water breaking and my midwife getting on the phone with me and saying, listen, like now we need to get to the hospital then, take a shower, have a good breakfast, and then I'll meet you at eight. And so I had basically per her instructions, like an hour to, you know, do the last minute things. The hospital bags had been packed since like week 30, I don't know, 34 or something like that. So everything really was ready. Um, and we did talk about all the things you need for the hospital. So I, I gathered all of those little things and I ate a yogurt bowl and we were on our way. That's so crazy. Did you have any sort of intuition like going into it or did you have any dreams about this going in? Because um, in my birth story, I'll share like some things I experienced, but did you did you know it was going to happen like the day before or anything like that? Interesting because no, I didn't have any dreams or any thoughts that it would happen, but I did do a sweep. Like I did have a vaginal sweep okay. the day before. And okay. Why did you do that? 
Um, it was just, again, encouraged by my midwife saying like, we would love for, for, you know, baby to arrive on the sooner side now that we've passed like the 40 week mark. So if you'd like, we can schedule a sweep and you can decide whether you want it or not. And I did end up going for it. Ultimately, um, she mentioned that it's possible that things will kickstart after I do this within like 12, 24 to 48 hours. So we looked at each other and we're like, okay, let's give it a go. And are we ready in the next 24, 48 hours to really dive into this? And we were both like, yeah, we both feel good about it. But I also sort of had this weird like teenage adamant. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. We can try it, but nothing will happen. You know, like I had some friends who'd done it and it just nothing ever started for them. Not even 24 hours later, my water had broken. I was supposed to meet up with a friend about, you know, two hours after the sweep and I ended up canceling on her because I really wasn't feeling great. Like I started to feel really crampy. I was feeling really like, uh, like I had to waddle everywhere. I had to lie down. I knew I couldn't be up and walking on my feet. So th that was sort of my gut feeling of, oh crap, maybe this actually did work. And then sure enough, not even 24 hours later, he had arrived. So <laughs> it definitely worked for me. <laughs> Can you just give our listeners a little bit more of an explanation about what a membrane sweep is? Because when I found out I was pregnant, I got really nervous about all these tests and these exams because obviously I'd never had them before. Um, and people don't really share about them very much. So just give us a little lowdown on what that was. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, it's something that typically your healthcare practitioner, like your midwife or your doctor is going to want to do after or not want to do, but suggest or offer after 39 weeks. And so because, you know, I think at this point, that was when my appointment was like 39 weeks and something, or sorry, no, I was at 40, 40 and 41 in like four days or five days, something like that. And she suggested that we do this to, it's basically a way to naturally induce labor. Um, your healthcare provider is going to do it by, you know, of course, being incredibly mindful of how delicate the space is with gloves, they're going to insert their fingers into your cervix. And the purpose is to loosen the amniotic sac from your uterus. And it is a good way to kind of progress labor and birthing when you are past your due date. But again, like we talked a lot about due dates, it's really Again, what we learned in our course, it's a guest date. So if your due date, I'm using air quotations, has come and gone, please don't feel pressure or nervous or worried about it not happening then and now. It's it's completely normal. And I forget the freaking percentage, but it's incredibly normal and, and so much more common than we're led to believe that women pass this date. So I was well past it and I was game for the membrane sweep. So Take the time to think about what feels right for you, but it was definitely me being mentally okay with it and my my healthcare provider offering to do it. Did it hurt? I it was honestly again like definitely not a joyride. It was a bit uncomfortable. Like it was there was discomfort to it. I I knew I needed to cancel some plans after the fact and be lying down. So it absolutely kickstarted some things, and it felt um, like a lot of pressure, like pap test vibe, you know, like a lot of pressure over there, but there's a lot of action going down and baby has descended at this point. So there's, mm. you know, it, it definitely felt like, um, not, some, not my favorite test that we did. That's for sure. <laughs> but, um, we did get it done at around like 41 weeks and like four or five days. And then 41 and six, he arrived not even 24 hours after the sweep we had him. Okay. So you get to the hospital, um, the next morning after the midwife tells you to go. And then what happens then? Like, are you meted by the nurses? Is your midwife there? What are you instructed to do at that point? 
Great question. So we arrive, we check in, essentially letting them know that we are um, in labor, water has broken, and we're starting, you know, the paperwork has begun. I'm given bracelets, Will's given bracelets, and we go into like the triage area where they can kind of do an assessment. We're waiting for my midwife at this point, and, you know, we're getting things all hooked up, um, all looked at, and I'm lying down on the bed, basically starting to really experience the waves or contractions, however you want to call them. And at first I was like, this isn't so bad. Like I can, this is, I can do this. I honestly remember lying there thinking, God, I must be really low threshold for pain because like I can really do this. But really what I was coming to find was I was starting to feel very like, oh, they get a little more intense and they come a little bit more frequently. So it was very humbling in that moment. Meanwhile, my midwife finally arrives and, you know, all the questions about does she have any allergies, this and that, like the the nurses are basically just taking stock of what needs to be done. Um, She's aware that I have group strep B, so I'm starting to get the antibiotic drip is starting to uh, get put in. And she's sharing what room we're going to be wheeled to in what wing of the hospital, where I'll be giving birth vaginally again. So that was how I had walked into the hospital was I had in my ear one AirPod playing all my hypnobirthing tracks from this course that we'd spend six weeks doing and all my homework every night from this class. And it was just a way for me to keep my mind calm and at peace and focusing on my breath. And um, it was really amazing to see how there for me Will was so supportive and asking me what I needed and just keeping that music on or, or or whatever tracks I needed. He was basically a really great birth manager at that point. So that was it. We got checked in until we were moved to a brand new space that would would have been where I was meant to give birth. So there was a little bit of a plot twist though. <laughs> and I think you told me at one point that was it that room that was really beautiful? Or Yes. Right? Oh my goodness. They wheeled us to one of the most beautiful rooms in the hospital for like the birthing wing. And what was crazy was it was like brand new. There was a bathtub. I had my own bathroom. Um, there was a bed for dad to sleep on, like not necessarily a bed, but there was like a, a wide enough ledge where they had like pillows and mats that they could lie down, that you could lay down and he could lie down. Um, and it was a really big room as well. So I felt so happy. I was so happy that this was going to be it. You know, there was the bouncing ball. I could have used the shower if I needed to, if it helped me when birthing. And I felt so excited. I, I swear to God, it looked like a hotel room. I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And you had your papers up and everything, right? I did. Yeah. And that was what I was going to say next was that and they, the nurses were incredibly respectful of my wishes for, you know, me thinking, okay, this room is great, but now how do I want the actual process of giving birth to look? I had arrived with a birthing plan that I typed up. It was immaculate, the most beautiful, like, like it, it looked like a cheat sheet basically that you'd use in math class, like just all the, if this happens and then this, and I had graphics and I had instructions and I had my photo on it, my midwife's photo and Will's photo and our phone numbers. And, um, if in the case of an emergency or there's a C-section, you know, we're open to, you know, plans diverging, but please let us know and explain to us why and what's happening and give us the options if things need to go that way. Well, looks like things needed to go that way. (laughs) My beautiful plan was put up all around the room. My nurse was so respectful. She put it on um, the bulletin board. She gave it to every nurse who was involved, the OB who was involved. My midwife had one. Um, It was really like, I felt such gratitude to be surrounded by women who were willing to honor my heart and what I wanted out of my experience. It was 
It was wonderful. Okay, so at some point your your waves, we're going to call it waves because that's what Amanda called it the whole time, they started getting pretty intense. And then what happened after that? And like, what was the time frame? So the time frame was around nine o'clock and we had arrived at eight. At around nine o'clock, uh, we are in the room at this point. I'm getting cozy. Like I'm nesting in this space. I'm like so eager to birth in here naturally um, with my hypnobirth track on again. Even the music was on. Like they all knew that this was what I was doing. Okay. And they started getting more intense. I, I felt a bit nauseous. I figured maybe it was hunger. So I got to eat a little bit of toast with peanut butter. And basically at this point, I'm getting drips for antibiotics, but then also oxytocin to start kickstarting things because the whole purpose of having the antibiotics in a timely manner for my water breaking was to make sure I was protected slash protecting baby on the way out. And that's why they needed to start um, you know, making way like my waves be a little bit more frequent and helping things along so that the, all the timings could align. But what happened was it also started making me feel really nauseous. So they added a third drip for anti-nausea to help combat that. And I think the mix of all of these things ended up making me feel really, really bad because the waves were starting to become quite strong. I'm not, I can't recall if we learned that that's a common thing where once you start getting, I think it's like pitocin or oxytocin or just any um, uh, medicinal help along the way to help with birthing that it can be quite intense. I can't recall if that's common, but it did feel that way for me. So I began, unfortunately, getting really, really sick. Like I was vomiting a lot. And within that time frame, we were also keeping an eye on my babe's heart rate. So I was all hooked up. Um, I can't remember the name of what the machine is called right now, but fetal heart rate monitor. Yes. Fetal heart rate monitor across my belly. And these were things that in our course, I remember being like, I don't want this. I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen. So I started feeling a little bit like my power was being taken away from me because I already didn't want any additional medication and I was on two things and now three with the anti-nausea. I already didn't want any additional monitoring if I didn't have to have it and now I had the fetal heart rate monitor. So I started to feel a little bit bummed because it was getting very, very strong and intense and, and, and painful for me and I didn't really know what to do with that. And I remember seeing Will's distress, seeing me in such distress. I found myself vomiting upwards of 10, 12 times and the team checking on me with one nurse every couple of minutes to now my room was filling with more people and they mm. were checking on me almost exclusively around the clock. And this was when I recall looking at Will and saying like, now it's about two hours in. It's like 11 o'clock at this point of me going through this and just like just vomiting like crazy and still being attached to things and being on my hands and knees and on the ground at some point. And I looked at Will and I was like, I can't do this. I don't even think I want to do it this way anymore. I am open to making this go away so that our little one can be healthy because that's all I care about. And he looked at me and I know he didn't want to push me in any direction. He wanted me to really direct the whole thing and he would support no matter what the decision was. But he just said, if that's how you feel, we can absolutely talk to them about it. And sure enough, the OB on, on the floor was discussing with my midwife. And then she came over to me and said, listen, I think based on this, this, and this reason, the numbers that we're seeing baby's heart rate is way too elevated. Um, 
in distress at this point. And she goes, and it's pretty clear you are as well. Like for you to be on your hands and knees on the ground, throwing up at this point, like that's very intense. We're thinking that this might need to be the path of having an emergency C-section. We want to keep baby safe. You know, heart rate has been really high for too long, kicking almost 200 beats a minute, right? Like I don't even hit that when I'm when I'm pushing through in a very intense workout, right? And adults, you know, I have a grown ass adult heart, like that kind of thing. So when I heard that number, I was just like, okay, I think I made the right decision in switching gears because I told Will I would be open to doing a C-section now. And um, and he, I remember seeing like the shock on his face because after the six weeks of our hypnobirthing course of saying, you know, you can do this, birth can be a process that you just allow everything to happen quite naturally, I had done my absolute best. And I realized I had all sorts of mental blocks where I was like, well, she gave birth naturally, or she did it this way. They did it this way. Why can't I? Am I not strong enough? Is my body not supporting me enough? Why does it not trust me enough to do the work, to get there, to successfully get baby out vaginally, naturally, the way I was hoping for this whole time? I realized in a minute, when they started breaking down these numbers, that none of that shit mattered to me. I didn't care who did what, how. I was so over my ego telling me it had to look a certain way. The whole purpose of my birth plan was that it's not a plan. It was a suggestion, just like a guest date. And for me to remain with a white knuckle grip on rigidity of how it all had to look was actually hurting me more than helping me. I could see it. I could feel it. It was apparent on my partner's face that things were not looking the way that we'd sort of hoped it had been. And it was that that was actually making me surrender my power. I took my power back when I said, I'm willing to do this. However, as long as I'm walking on healthily with babe, let's go. Like I'm game. I'm willing, ready and open. And that beautiful little birth plan can just like, you know, be a great little piece of art that I made as wishful thinking. Um, and, and to be perfectly honest, you know, looking back, everything did get respected to the absolute utmost best of every professional's ability in that place. They did try to do every single thing when it came down to in the section on my birth plan that said, in the case of an emergency C-section or whatever, here's how I want to be spoken to. Here's how I want it to be laid out of what my, my options are. And I want time to discuss with my partner. And all of that was respected. So That's awesome. yeah, they were, they were phenomenal. So that was the sort of twist of events that ended up, you know, in, in the change of plans for the natural birth. And I think the really, the word that just hit me is like, you had to feel surrender. Um, because having gone through this experience as well, that's something I really struggled with was surrendering physically, yeah. not even just mentally, but a lot like physically surrendering your body is so hard because your body is telling you this is an unsafe situation to have a baby in. And I'll tell you about that in my story, but I really struggled with that. Um, and I wanted to surrender mentally, but physically I was like, <laughs> I was having all those blocks physically. I wondered too, because you have so much medication going through your body at this point, like yeah. your body is super thrown off, but did you feel any sort of restriction in your body like through the c-section process like tell us the the transition now between you puking on the floor <laughs> to laying on a, a surgery table how did you you feel in that and what what was that like well i just want you to know that it is hard mentally like i'm making it sound like it was very 
quick, but I mean, again, time was passing. I was unwell. Like, of course there was like a, a gradual release. So again, I completely feel you. And everything's very blurry as well, right? Yeah, it, it can feel blurry. What's what I do remember pretty crystal clear are the steps, but I what what is blurry is the thoughts that were kind of going through my mind. And, you know, that last little bit is clear to me because because it was like the moment where I feel like I took my voice back and saying, This is what I want to do. Now, the last thing I rem- I said was, Is it too late to do an epidural so that I can still birth vaginally? And she mm. goes, at this time, yes, only because even if I gave you an epidural right now, you could still be, you know, in the birthing process for hours, for laboring for hours. And we and baby cannot withstand a heart rate like this for hours, for any mm-hmm. longer than we've tried. So no, like that ship has sort of sailed. That was when I physically surrendered mm. because I knew that I had to in order for him to physically thrive through this. So I remember I'm I'm lying down. There's another wave coming. Um, they're ripping out my ear piercings because I have 13 ear piercings. I did not anticipate a surgery that day. So I kept my earrings on. Um, Will's ripping out the right. I'm trying to rip out the left. I'm getting more waves. I have an anesthesiologist who's discussing like, this is what's about to happen. It's aware that it's important that you're aware of, of the risks of the, 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 the statistics of this and that. And he's just, that's, what's fuzzy to me. He's just talking numbers in, yeah. in the right ear. And I'm just trying to get piercings out on both sides. It's all legal mumbo jumbo. Cause you're like, yeah, so what's my option? <laughs> yeah, basically I'm like, well, we're doing this, aren't we? So I guess, and, and they, they give me the papers. I had to sign an initial. I'm doing that while yeah. taking piercings <laughs> off. The waves are coming. I'm like, this is the real, this is the annoying part. Um, and then she goes, we're going to get you on the gurney between waves so that it's a little bit easier mm. for you. So there was a point where I was lying there. Things started to calm down a little bit. But again, it's just almost like a constant discomfort at this point. So I did my best, walked over, got on board, and they're wheeling me out. And the most poetic part this that is clear, crystal freaking clear for me was they lied me down. I'm all strapped in. Everything is is ready to roll, literally. And I'm looking sideways and things are starting to get a little like woozy for me because I'm starting to really not feel great or I'm really not feeling great at this point. And my birth plan that was taped to another part of, of the room floated down to the ground, came off and all the hustle and bustle. There's nine people in the room at this point for my one little nurse, me and my partner to nine people, midwife and OB included. It floats down to the ground and all the commotion of the room. It settles on the floor. And like four different pairs of feet just trample all over it. (laughs) And I remember out loud laughing and saying, okay, I get it. Yeah, right. And I I said that to myself. Nobody heard me. But I said Mm -hmm. it out loud because I needed it to be in the space of me saying, I'm also surrendering this room. I'm also surrendering that freaking perfectly curated little plan that I've made. I'm, I'm honoring that they tried their best, but I'm willing to now have a change of scenery physically, mentally. Let's, let's, you know, get this show on the road because accept all the of, help, accept the help, accept yeah. the hands, accept the change. And I, I have said this since Romeo came out that he is the biggest lesson I've ever been trying to learn my entire life is how to embrace change and going with the flow. Mm-hmm. I've spent the better part of every year of my life, whether it's been bad breakups or changing careers or losing friends or losing family, like just, I have been so resistant to change that I have made myself sick. I've made myself overly anxious, overthinking, overtired. I mean, you name it. I've burnt myself out over being so angsty and angry and annoyed by change. 
And this baby has been the catalyst for literally changing that mindset. So from day one, (laughs) from day one, it's been crazy. And so that was the process of changing room. Then we, I'm, I'm wheeled into the surgical room and we're in a brand new space. So when you're brought into a C-section, your partner is not allowed to go with you for the prep. So you're alone um, on the table. Probably the only time that you were alone. Was that different for you? Because Will has been like right beside your head the entire time. And now they're prepping you for surgery. And it's it's pretty crazy. Like the, I've never been in a surgery room awake before. No. It's like the only time you'll ever experience something like this. And yeah. it is even more people at this point because they have a team for you and they have a team for baby. So there's like 15 people or so in there. Yeah. Um, did you have any thoughts in that in that time? I did because I, I, I had a really wonderful anesthesiologist who was talking me too. Me through everything. Right. Thank God there thank God for, for little earth angels because this man was so polite. I can't wait to hear more about yours, but tell me like where was Mine was my, a man. Mine was a woman with okay. like one of those head scarf tie things on covering mm-hmm. her hair um, for surgery mm-hmm. with bunnies all over it. Oh my God, stop. That's perfect. <laughs> and she was older. Like she was probably, uh, I want to say like 60. So she really reminded me of like my mother. Oh gosh. And she were, she really, really helped me through that whole process. She was just, she had this calming voice about her. So if you ever want to be an anesthesiologist, I think you have to make sure you're that type of person because we need you Yeah, we need <laughs> in those you. moments. So you you had a man, did you? I, I did. I had a man, a British man, a young dude. He was like, mm. he was young. He, yeah. And he um, was talking me through everything. He was very playful. He had a really good upbeat energy, um, lightheartedness to him, which is everything I needed in that moment. Absolutely. And I had nurses, you know, holding my hands, helping me kind of sit upright while I was getting um, the injection to make sure that we're numbing all over the place. So we're not feeling anything. And he was talking me through about every single thing that they did. They told me first, they walked, talked to me first, and um, they did it without making me feel rushed or panicked. It was almost like I had all the time in the world, but they knew that they were getting to it as well. It was incredibly cool to watch such, like it was like an orchestra in there. Every person knew what they were doing. They knew what role they played and they played it with such finesse and such professionalism. Again, it blew me away. Every section, every team was incredible. And Will was not with me there at that point. He was outside getting all dressed up. There was, he was getting hairnets and the the scrubs and the feet, um, like slippers, a little blue elastic slippers put on, head to toe being covered. And I just kept saying, where is Will? Is he coming? I just kept asking where he was. And they just kept saying, oh, don't you worry. He's right outside. We're just getting him ready. He will be here. And I was like, okay, everything can only happen if he's here. They're like, he, he's coming. Don't worry. And so I remember lying down finally getting very, very cold. I was so shivery, just completely trembling. I think it's part of the room being cold, part of what the medication will do to you. Mm-hmm. And I finally saw Will join me beside my head and they're setting up their curtains. They're just touching uh, on my body to be like, do you feel here? Do you feel here? Do you feel here? And once it had risen high enough, I would say like chest level of not being able to feel anything. They were like, cool. All right, it's go time. And so the test that they did was they used a bag of ice. Mm -hmm. If I could feel how cold that was, wherever it was, they would either wait or then it was a green light for them. And Will was beside me and he did make it in time for them um, to begin. And again, the anesthesiologist was saying like, this is about to happen right now. And all I looked up at him and I remember saying, but how, in how long will this take? When will I see him? And he said, 
oh, oh, my, my dear, you'll have your baby in just five minutes. Don't you worry. And I said, okay. And that was my pivotal point of peak physical surrender Mm -hmm. was when he said, you're going to have your baby in five minutes. I laid back. I let whatever shivers have to happen. I held Will, Will's hand and he was, had his hands on me. And, um, Will was like, realizing that the man was British. So part of what I remember was that the two of them started talking like, hey, oh, where are you from? Oh my God. And I'm like, oh my God, stop it. We're not having this This conversation. This isn't about you. We're not having this conversation right now. So he hit it off with the anesthesiologist and they're talking about where in England they're from. And I'm like, okay, so this is, I'll just let me get lost in their conversation so I don't have to be thinking about what's happening down there. So I actually love that little moment, that little blip in it. And Will was asking him too, like, when can I film and he's like not yet you can't film yet but when you want it when when it is when I'm ready to give you the green light to start taking pictures or videos if you want like moment number one I'll tell you and so all I remember was at a certain point where he said to Will you can start now and so Will kind of got a phone out and did film and record like Romeo arriving and being shown to me over the curtain I just remember that being a completely foreign out of body experience and talking about physical body and surrendering, but that was like, I levitated out of my being and was watching it happen of like this little being who had been kicking and punching and hiccuping and cartwheeling his way through my body, just being on the outside finally. And um, that was breathtaking. And then they, did they take him immediately and give him to you? They took him immediately, wrapped him in towel and gave him and like cleaned him off a little bit and put a hat on him. And I think this is what happened. I'm sure I could ask Will, but I I was like, I couldn't really see much. You have a lot of drugs too. Yeah. And they placed him on my chest immediately. They placed Mm -hmm. him on my breast as well, right away. Um, I remember him looking at me for the first time and I was just, I think Will recorded this too. And I'm just sobbing. I'm just sobbing, looking into his face for the first time. But then they're like, we're going to go clean him up. We're going to go weigh him and this and that. Do you want dad to stay with you or to go with baby? I'm like, make him go with baby. Like I want him to go make sure everything is okay. So Will left me and they did the weighing. They did the cleaning. Romeo did poop. So they had to wipe the poop and then he did his pee. And so he, he, all the things were coming out and working healthily. They were checking um, head circumference, height, like foot size, all this, all this stuff. And I just remember like looking up to my left over my shoulder to to see if best I could everything that was was going on. But again, they brought him back to me after that as well. So isn't it interesting how when he's born, that was like your first step of in motherhood, where when you're in the C-section, you're waiting, you're like, where's Will? Where's Will? I need Will. I need Will. And then as soon as Romeo's born, you're like, do you need Will to stay with you? Or do you want him to go with Romeo? And you're like, I don't need Will anymore. Romeo needs Will. Yeah. Isn't yeah, that yeah. cool? Like it's, it's kind cool. of it's small moment, but it it is. And and it's interesting how innate and natural it was. I was like, oh no, no, I'm good. I'm I'm all good. I know he's here. That's all that was the greatest wash over of peace I needed was to know that he was okay. And additionally, I if I can't walk get up and walk there to check and watch this, I want another excellent set of eyes and heart who are completely invested in the well being of Babe mm-hmm. to to be part of that as well. That moment was was incredible. 
How did Will do during the C-section? Like, how did he feel? Did he get, you know, some dads really struggle with the idea of you being in surgery, looking at it, they can't do it, it's scary. How did he do? And yeah, tell me about his experience. His experience, I can't wait. We, me and you have got to finagle these men onto our Blame It on Mom Brain podcast. I would love to really have him recount it. But um, what he has expla- expressed to me was how difficult it was for him to see me in a space that he could not help, that he could not like take away pain. He couldn't intervene and make things stop. Like he he just had to be there and kind of watch it happen. Um, his tears come from that definitely. But in the moment, he was very stoic and incredibly supportive and emotionally involved. Like he was right there with me and 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 feeling like excited. He was blown away, but he, I also think he went into the states of shock. So while yeah. he was emotionally there, I do think Will was so effing shocked when he came out that he was just like, oh, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he definitely had out of body experiences on his own. I think that's the hardest part, part for partners. A lot of the time is just knowing that they can just sit by and watch. And that's really their biggest role is to be a supporter on the side. And it's a wild thing to get to watch such a major invasive surgery. Like, that, like that's just not something that ever happens. And they don't prepare your partner, whoever that per- person is, for something like that either, right? Like, I wonder no. how many times a dad or a mother or whoever is there with you doesn't do well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? And, you know, you're, you're just doing your best. Like, from one minute, you're just sitting down in a room, potentially, like, just watching things happen to needing to be wheeled out of said room. And you're getting dressed because your partner is about to go under have this surgery and you're like oh shit oh my god I'm gonna be right there while it's happening like it must be pretty overwhelming it you know, must I, be yeah and anyway that at the end of that um you know Romeo got weighed and all that stuff um and I was getting wheeled into my brand new recovery room and the c-section section of things for the recovery is definitely a very different room um it feels uh, it was smaller it was tighter will was on the ground like we were just um you know doing our best with that space but we had a middle room like another triage room that we were wheeled to prior to the room we ended up staying two days in yeah and i think it's just surgery recovery surgery general surgery recovery space right i think you're right yeah that makes sense because you know, we were in this room waiting for it to be prepped and Will got to hold Romeo. And that was the first time I took a photo of Will holding oh. him. And it was incredible. Just he, Will was basically out of body. Like he could not believe that this little thing I kept saying, oh, touch, he's kicking now. Like it was actually on the outside. I think that was really powerful for him. Um, and he had no choice but to let it get real real fast because I was lying in bed on tons of of medication at this point recovering from major abdominal surgery and he had basically gone from never holding a baby to now not just holding him but having to feed him as well because my milk hadn't come in and so again another thing where I was like oh I wanted to be breast milk only well I had no breast milk and then I wanted to be maybe it could have been donor milk well because of COVID there was no donor milk so it had to be formula so I was like okay well I guess it's formula and it's bottle fed and he we did try to breastfeed there was a little bit of colostrum that was coming out and so that definitely happened thankfully um, Romeo was a champ whether it was being breastfed or with the bottle but it was like every single situation came with that. Don't forget that your new lesson is that, you know, we're learning to let go. We're learning to let go with every single thing. And so Will had to really dive in quick. He was swaddling. He was diaper changing. He was bottle feeding. He was standing up, rocking, trying to shush, get baby to sleep. Like 
he had to do all this. I could not get up like, or, or, or I was not going to be standing and holding Romeo, like that kind of thing. Like I was getting up to practice walking again. The sooner you're on your feet, the better for your body. Um, but I needed support, right? So I couldn't physically do those things, as you know, um, since you had a similar experience in that way of recovery. But it was just, he he definitely stepped up really quickly. And I remember being so in love, like just so amazed. And at no point were you guys separated after that, right? You were just in your room. Oh, how did how did you feel about that? I think it's they're checking your fundle. I didn't know oh, about God. this. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little traumatized from that. Okay, so they're checking your fundle. Basically, like they're 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 just pushing down on your stomach. They want to make sure that your uterus is kind of shrinking back to regular size, that you're not in too much pain. They want to be able to gauge that to make sure things are are, are healing properly. And those pushes, I wanted to punch someone. I was so irritated at how painful they were. I was like, this is wildly unnecessary. But obviously, I had no idea because I didn't know about that. Um, and so that really was not fun. Again, we talked about what to pack for your hospital bag. Don't recommend slippery slippers like I had because then walking with slippery slippers on you know, very slick hospital floors was not fun. It was very tricky. Um, so yeah, like there were some parts of it that were really, really challenging, like having to go to the washroom and, um, oh my goodness, it was, it was definitely difficult. That was hard. I I think this is like a little TMI moment, but when you're, when you have a C-section as well, they will not let you leave the hospital until you poop. So they give you laxatives. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you can't leave here until you do something to make sure because there's like all the painkillers that they give you for surgery make you very constipated and it could cause serious problems if things are not releasing. And I, I found that really, really kind of, I don't know, funny, but weird, but also so painful because when you have a C-section, they don't give you painkillers after that, like real painkillers. They give yeah. you Tylenol and Advil. And you're like, excuse me, what am, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? And you have to get up and you have to get up. You have to take care of a baby post having seven layers of your body been cut through, including your abdominal muscles, which absolutely no other surgery existing would they tell you to do something like this. It's It's insanity to me that this is how the c-section works like my whole body feels weird listening to you talk about this because I'm like reliving the I can feel the sensations it's so fascinating listening to you talk about this situation and how long were you there for before they told you you could go home Okay. Well, first thing about the poop, it is not too much information because it's so important that we talk about these things because I did not know about the poop part. Okay. And this I think is for any birth, but yes, it's true that if there's a lot of medication involved, it can create like um, the issue of constipation. I did get to leave without having pooped. You did. They let me leave without. Why? Um, they just said, "Oh, are you passing gas?" And I was, and so they were like, "Okay, then that's fine. You're gonna poop soon. It's gonna be fine. Mm. You can leave." I was there for two nights, three days, and when I did arrive home, I did have to poop, and it was excruciating. It was. I, I was in so much pain. I was also almost on the phone with like four one one, like like the healthline to try to get information on if this was normal, what I had to do because I was in tears. I'm sorry. It is true though for me that that was one of the worst parts of my postpartum experience was the first couple of poops. Um, but poop number one, especially, holy shit. And 
that was really like unspoken. Then just to talk about the fact that it's major abdominal surgery, which you just touched on seven layers are being cut through. Like it's in no other operation. Are they asking you to go through something physically like that? And then also don't really rest. Cause now you have to keep a person alive. Like that was just absolutely mind boggling to me. And I did not recognize how deep that went. I did not understand how big the surgery was because I remember being so upset in my first you know, four or five days when I could not get up and I could not do those things and things didn't feel right. And I was in so much pain. Someone had to like talk me through that because I didn't realize it before. So it's like, I, again, like I, I, I don't want people's stories to scare others. I hate that. What I want is to just express what happened for me. And if it helps give someone a heads up or if you can relate to having felt a little bit in the dark about it, then that's really helpful because it did feel like that for me where I was like, why is this so hard? Why am I having so much trouble? And it's because it's major surgery you just went through. Of course it's hard. You typically on paper should be on bed rest for like a few weeks to be able to heal from this before getting on your feet and doing anything. And there I was trying to do everything. So no wonder it was such a, a nightmarish experience. I was trying to operate at 100% Mandy level when I was like, I should have been at 10% don't do much. Like it's it's pretty nuts. So I do it. I get what you mean by just the words can be almost like a transportation vessel to that space again of feeling like, oh my God, I can't believe physically what you go through. It's, it's, and, and it's how much you didn't know. Yeah. And I think this, at this point, we're really diving into postpartum. Now we are into postpartum, which is really where me and Amanda bonded. And mm. we're going to have to move on to another episode for that because <laughs> there is a lot to unpack. <laughs> so much to unpack there. But thank you so much for opening up and being so vulnerable and talking about something that can be it can be difficult to talk about this because it it wasn't what we wanted to happen. I'll talk about my story next week. And I also did not have an experience that I wanted whatsoever. And I think that is really what bonded the two of us together at the end of it was because we needed someone else to talk to because you feel so alone in this situation. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're still listening to this podcast, I hope that we're giving you someone to listen to that you also don't feel so alone. If you had a, uh, an experience sort of like what Amanda went through, and if you are pregnant and you're expecting birth sometime soon, please don't let Amanda's story or my story deter you from your plan. Just remember that you have to be open. You can't be rigid. You never know what's going to happen, and you are strong enough to get through it. It is a big, overwhelming experience, but nothing happens to you that you cannot handle, even if that does mean you need to get help after. That is completely okay. It does not mean you are weak by getting help ever. And yeah, if you have any questions about anything Amanda talked about today, I'm sure you'd love to. I would, I would absolutely love to answer any questions that anyone has. I, I think it's incredibly important what Jodine just expressed, which is asking for help in any way, even pre-baby. Like if you're pregnant now and you already want to be talking about how you feel and you don't necessarily want to do it with, with just anybody, but you'd rather like a professional 
um, to step in and be a safe space for you to, to hold for you and guide you through some techniques or, or any resources that they can share. It is the complete opposite of being weak. It is the utmost form of self-respect, self-care, and self-love that you can ever show yourself to get professional help. I learned this that you know, it by by personal experience, it was always like, oh no, talking to someone, absolutely not. All the little things that you say about how it, it, it can be shameful or scary or, or all these things, you know, that fear can't survive in the light. And shining the light on it means using your voice and speaking up. And I really feel that Blame It on Mom Brain is a place that we get to do things like that where we shed light on topics that, you know, Jodine and I, like you mentioned, it's specifically how we bonded was the postpartum experience of all of this. And it has led to an incredible friendship that I'm so grateful for. But more than that, it has led to feeling really proud to use my voice and, and discuss these things. So, you know, if you have a similar experience or if you have any thoughts or questions about it, please feel free to message us on Instagram at Blame It on Mom Brain. We'd love to hear from you and already do. And the other thing is we have lots to talk about in terms of the postpartum experience as well. So you'll make sure to tune in for future episodes to hear that. But Jodine, I'm really excited for our next episode to focus on you and Neil and baby Creed and how her birthday went for all of you. But thanks for holding space to, to allow me to share mine. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you everyone for listening. This is Blame It on Mom Brain. Bye. Bye. I swear. I know. <laughs> <sighs>